Hey, this is Julia Stern. I am a New York City-based fitness instructor, and this is Not My Best, the podcast that reminds you it's okay not to be at your best 100% of the time. New episodes on the 10th of every month about women's health and wellness so that together we can stop trying to live our best life and start actually living a better one. Let's get into it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this month's episode of Not My Best. It is the podcast where we focus on the better, not best mindset in the lens of women's health, letting you make informed, better decisions because it is completely impossible to be at our best all of the time. The seasons are changing. I hope you're having a good time. I am really, really freaking excited for some warmer weather on the East Coast. I hope that it hits soon, but I've been really focused, working very hard, working out trying to be a present mom and overall I'm feeling really good so I would love to hear how you're feeling too. This month's episode I think is one of the greatest. Julia Glanz is someone who I crossed paths with when I lived in LA working for Rumble in 2018 and she focuses on women's hormones while also being an expert in fitness and also being an expert in nutrition. So before I get into a little bit about her I'm really excited to talk about today's episode. We break it down. She gives all of the nerdy science, which I absolutely love, but we break down how you should be eating and working out for your cycle. And it's not, they're not insanely strict rules, but it will give you things to pay attention to so that you can show your body a little bit more grace, which I think is information that women really need. So Julia is a registered dietitian with her master's degree in nutritional science. She's a certified strength and conditioning specialist, a former college strength and conditioning coach, and a former D1 soccer player. She has an online nutrition practice where she specializes in women's health. And in her practice, she works with clients one-on-one and offers various programs to really help women optimize the key hormones that affect their energy, their metabolism, their body comp through specific nutrition and lifestyle strategies. And then in addition, to that, she serves as a consultant to fitness and health professionals and businesses to really create nutrition education via workshops, programs, and social media content. Her reels are next level. If you're not following her, you need to be. She also has an ebook she wrote called A Woman's Guide to Optimizing Health Hormones and Metabolism. And on top of all of that, she has a webinar coming up. So I'll put those links into the show notes. I hope you get as much out of this conversation as I did, even up until yesterday when I was feeling really tired and I was noticing things that my body were craving. It fit right into our conversation. So take a listen. And after the episode, I would love if you could rate this podcast and then let me know what you think on social at Julia L. Stern at Not My Best Podcast. I also have a TikTok now, Lord help me. So you can reach me on every social media platform except for Snapchat. I will never give in to that one. And I'm excited to hear what you think. Before we get started, a shout out to Rookie Wellness. I am obsessed. We are out of their protein yet again, and I need to send an email to get more sent to us because I love it. Andy loves it. And they really focus on the basis of this podcast, which is if you're not an expert in wellness, Rookie will help you become one. Everyone is a rookie at some point, and it's the perfect first step to get started and own your health. So So you can use my code Julia, J-U-L-I-A. The link is in the show notes. It's also in the bio of my Instagram. And here's today's episode. All right. So thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. When I first started doing like the topics that I wanted to talk about on my podcast, you were one of the first people that came to mind because you are so incredible in the sense that you have the fitness background, but you also have the nutrition background. And so you work 
together and then kind of put a twist on it to optimize women's health. So I think it's really cool how you take both sides of it and just like make it very specific to women and how to be taking care of yourself for hormones and also lifting weights and working out and how all of that plays with each other. So anyway, all that to say, hi, Julia, thank you for coming on today. Hi, Julia. I'm so happy to be here. And thank you for that. I'm, I'm honored. Yeah. So tell me and also everyone else a little bit, just like about your background, what came first for you? Was it the fitness piece or the nutrition piece? (laughs) Great question. I was both (laughs) literally since I, I was 14 years old. I'm like, I want to be a nutritionist and trainer. Of course, had no idea what that looked like at the time, but um, through my own journey of um, getting into the weight room, because I played soccer my whole life, but was never the fastest or fittest or strongest. I was actually the most out of shape person. Um, and my, my coach called me out in front of my whole team one game and was like, Julia, if you continue to do what you're doing, your soccer career is going to be done. And from that, and he was referring to my lack of fitness. So from that point on, I spent every day in the gym working on my fitness. And when you're that out of shape, anything works. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I quickly saw, um, results. And when you're that young too, I quickly saw results and was just, um, became obsessed with all things training and using nutrition to support my performance on on the field. And when I got into college, I was introduced to strength and conditioning and the weight room and just became obsessed and in love then. So I knew I wanted to be a college strength coach and also wanted to be a dietitian. But I took chem and bio during my sophomore year of college during season Um, because I played soccer at Arizona. And I was just honestly about to fail both one because I just didn't see the value in taking those classes at that time of life. And I was just like, I don't, I don't want to be a doctor. I don't need these classes. Anyway, fast forward after, um, after college, I went back to take all of the sciences classes again, because I went back to school to get my master's to become a registered dietitian. Um, So it's something I've always wanted to do at at a young age. And yeah, like you said, now I just merge them together to support women to optimize their health, their hormones and their metabolism. Yeah, because I feel like there's a bunch of different pieces to it, even looking at it through the lens of like me personally, like, so I have the fitness piece. I obviously am a trainer um, and then going through postpartum and weight loss and really trying to optimize my hormones, which were totally out of whack. There's so much noise, like we were just saying before we started recording, and there's so many mixed messages coming at you. And it's like, okay, I'm getting all of these messages from diet culture, which is really not focused on my nutrition and how to fuel Mm -hmm. my body but I need to be fueled for these workouts. So how do I know that I'm eating appropriately for that? And then I can't just focus on eating for the workout piece because there's also hormones and my body, which is changing with like all of this stuff that's going on internally. So I really like how I feel like you're three separate specialists (laughs) into one (laughs) um, because you have all that knowledge. So I think that's super rare because even if you meet with a dietitian who's going to talk to you about how to optimize your, your brain health and your gut health and your hormones, they might not have that fitness background, which when you're lifting heavy weight, you really need to make sure you're eating to support that. 
Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah. And it's all encompassing. And that's, that's a big piece of my hormone journey that kind of just skipped over, <laughs> but it, I got into learning about women's health and hormones. It's because we were never taught that in school. No. Um, we were literally maybe had one sex ed class and that was that don't get pregnant. See you later. Good luck. <laughs> and then yeah. it was like, Oh, here, here's birth control just in case for protection, um, which don't get me started with that has a whole host of other downstream side effects. You but- mean being on birth control that will affect you hormonally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Which we can touch on if you want in a bit, <laughs> but yeah. Um, I, obviously love training, obviously like went through the period when, um, fat was bad and nobody ate fat. So unintentionally like under eight, I lost my period. I had thyroid issues, Hashimoto's that I wasn't even aware about, but I was like in my twenties feeling brain fog. I couldn't remember anything, like could not retain a single thing. Um, just felt low in energy. And I'm like, I am too young to be feeling this way. But I thought something was wrong with me because I didn't know. I didn't know what was happening. I was just like, okay, well, maybe this is the way it is. Like, and I went to doctors and obviously like nothing happened, but it wasn't until I tested my hormones, saw that they were just plummeted, obviously. And, um, started diving into like, okay, why, why does this happen? And then I started learning more. I went to go see functional medicine doctors and just spending hundreds of hours of researching, um, kind of just taught myself what the hell was going on, excuse my language. But, um, (laughs) and from then I started sharing more information like on social and the amount of women who would reach out and say, me too, me too. This is happening with me. I thought I was alone. Like, wild. So many women are struggling with symptoms of hormone imbalance and, and we're oftentimes, and I don't want to say all doctors are like this because they're not, but the conventional doctors that I saw and that a lot of other women see, um, they just don't know. So they dismiss the symptoms saying it's all in your head. Um, here's birth control. This will help balance your hormones. Oh, you have PCS. Here's the pill. Like, I mean, it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) no, it is a lot, but it's so true. I think there needs to be, I love truly Western medicine. I'm not a like totally anti-doctor, anti-hospital person. I really do support science. However, I think I really saw it when I, after I had a baby, which by the way, like what you're talking about doesn't even have anything to do with pregnancy and postpartum and that whole hormonal imbalance can exist before you even have kids, after you have kids and all of these symptoms can come with it. Forget about what you go through after you like give birth, which is a whole different thing. But I saw Mm -hmm. it when I was meeting with my OB and really the postpartum care for motherhood, which I'm doing a whole nother episode on, but it's just like, okay, you're good at six weeks, like time to go. Um, Mm. you're experiencing nausea. Here's a prescription for what you're feeling and, or like your period is not regular. Here's hormonal birth control. Um, and it really just, there's just a lack of knowledge and a lack of information on the patient side, because a lot of times women don't even know the questions to ask. So it's like there, I think there just needs to be some kind of like modification to the doctor experience because 
there's just not enough communication back and forth between patient and doctor to find alternate routes of like how you're fueling your body, what you're putting into it, how you're spending your day, which really has a whole, whole, um, series of symptoms that can really like play on if you're not fueling yourself properly. Exactly. Yeah. And it sounds like you've experienced, I mean, firsthandly, like what, what that care feels like when it's like, you don't have the answers, but you also don't know what questions to ask, but you also don't have the time with your doctor. So it's like, it can feel so frustrating and just overwhelming. And yeah, no, it's really frustrating because you feel like you're not sure of what the next step should be, but you're not in the position to be deciding what that next step is because you don't have the knowledge. So now you're like reading on the internet and you want to bring all these things up to your doctor, but at the same time, you don't even like, it just feels endless, you know? Mm -hmm. So I I guess let's start about how to eat to optimize your hormones. Let's start there and then let's go into a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. Great question. So this is obviously a big topic, right? Because there, we have a lot of hormones, but I, my whole um, practice and specialty really is to help women optimize the key hormones that affect their weight, mood, metabolism, and, and energy. So that's what I wrote my ebook on just as a brief, like foundational layer to like, how do you even begin doing this? And it begins by understanding like what your hormones are, what they do, how they fluctuate and how that's different from women to men and why you can't just follow plans written for men by men, because we are different. And in order to even start eating for your hormones, you have to, like I said, understand the fluctuation. So let's just take your sex hormones. For example, um, your sex hormones are made from cholesterol. So if you're not getting enough fat and cholesterol in your diet, like it's going to, you're going to have a really hard time producing sex hormones. Um, with that being said, all sex hormones, yes, they're produced in your ovaries, but it starts from the brain ovary connection. So if there's other external factors going on that are affecting that connection, i.e. birth control or stress that can suppress your brain's communication to your ovaries to make those hormones, um, that is, that needs to be addressed first. So the food piece is, is accompanying and it's important. Absolutely. But there's always going to be other factors that are playing a role too. So let's take estrogen, for example, estrogen, you can eat to support estrogen and maybe including phytoestrogens like flax seeds or lignans, like in the flax seeds as well. Um, because those have supportive benefits, whether you have high or low estrogen and whether that's another thing is like, whether you have high or low sex hormones in general, the protocol is going to be a little bit different and the nutrient support is going to be different. Um, but I'll just touch on like progesterone, for example, progesterone is very connected to your stress hormones. And the only time you really make that robust peak in progesterone is after ovulation. So your body, you have to ovulate in order to produce progesterone because when your egg gets released, that gland or the follicle forms a gland 
called your corpus luteum, and that's what produces progesterone. So in order to eat to support that hormone, you have to eat to support your stress hormones. And what that could look like is maybe some vitamin C and foods with vitamin B6 as well. Those can be supportive. Um, again, like I said, other factors will always play a role. And then with testosterone, your other sex hormone, um, lifting weights, not food related, but also getting enough protein, vitamin D, zinc, those are all supportive for supporting testosterone. But the foundational layer will always be eating to support blood sugar balance. And the reason for this is because any imbalance in blood sugar can affect all things related to maybe increasing inflammation if it blood sugar is too high for too long, too often, or on the flip side, if your blood sugar is too low, like you're not eating enough, that affects your insulin levels, which makes you have low insulin and you need, it's the Goldilocks principle. Always. You don't want too much. You don't want too little and you want just the right amounts at the right time. So with insulin, if it's too low, it impairs signaling from your brain to ovary connection through a protein. It's called kisspeptin, but kisspeptin is closely regulated to sex hormone production as well. So I know this is a lot of information. It's like a <laughs> lot, I, a lot. Like, um, it's beyond. I no, it's, it's just amazing. <laughs> but it's amazing how much goes into it. But let's mm-hmm. backtrack for a second. So what do I want to eat? Just like, tell me what I want to eat at, say, let's start at the beginning of my cycle to mm-hmm. support my hormones and keep my insulin levels in check. Perfect. So the first half of your cycle, we're building progesterone. First half of your cycle is day one of your period. So first day of bleed up until ovulation. And if you're not tracking, go download a tracking app right now and start today. Um, I've had the same app on my phone since high school. Like it just never left my phone. I've had it since I think I was a sophomore, like 2007. Do you use it? Yeah, religiously. Okay, (laughs) perfect. I'm like, is it just sitting there or do you use it? That's amazing. No, I really do. So much data. Wow. Yeah, years and years. Okay, go on. Um, So yeah, first half of your cycle, you're building, sorry, you're building estrogen. Um, Estrogen peaks right before ovulation and same with testosterone. And to support this phase, well, estrogen has really beneficial effects on muscle function and recovery and insulin sensitivity. So during this time, you can get away with just eating. Okay, let me backtrack. You always want to focus on eating protein, fat, fiber, so protein, fat, veggies at every meal, no question. So that is foundational layer, 100%. You can just stick with that um, during your follicular phase. So that first half of your cycle and support estrogen as well. You also want to support your gut too. So protein, fat, and fiber at each meal. With that being said, adding probiotic, prebiotic rich foods as well. So I'll leave it at that because that is just foundational layer to support the production um, and just the balance of estrogen too, right? Because we want estrogen, but we don't want it to get too high. Um, so we want to make sure your body's eliminating it and metabolizing it 
and that happens through the gut and the liver. So you want to make sure you're pooping daily, which means you want more fiber in your meals too. So protein, Let's fat, give and fiber. Some examples because I'm pretty good at the protein fat part, but the fiber mm-hmm. part, what are some really good sources of fiber that I can add into my meals? All your veggies, specifically cruciferous veggies are just my favorite and not like my favorite, well, they are actually, but (laughs) my favorite to recommend because they are just powerhouses. They contain the fiber, they contain um, the micronutrients, and they contain compounds to support that estrogen metabolism as well. So cruciferous veggies are broccoli, Brussels sprouts, broccoli sprouts, kale, bok choy. I mean, there's a bunch, so. Got it. I'm into it. Okay. So first half I'm totally, I'm eating my veggies. I'm eating my protein. I'm eating my healthy fats like avocado, like nut butters. Are we talking nut butters? Yeah, that can absolutely play a role. Nut butters. Um, you said avocado, olives, healthy fats, like from wild caught salmon, sardines. Um, if you're open to that. Um, so yeah, all, all sources of healthy fats, in there as well. Super supportive to include is chia seeds too, because that gives you the healthy fat source and fiber as well. So I love incorporating chia seeds into smoothies. It's just super easy or even like a chia seed pudding as well. So those, those are foundational pieces for your follicular phase, first half of your cycle. And another thing to mention is estrogen has like supports your body's satiety response as well. So you may also experience you're not as hungry in the first half of your cycle in comparison to the second half of your cycle, um, specifically that last week of your period. Wait, that's crazy. Well, obviously it's pretty well known, but leading Mm -hmm. up to my period, I'm always starving. And the day that I get my period or the second day of my cycle, I never feel like eating. I'm like never hungry. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that is one not 100%, but very well connected to the production of estrogen in the first half, which promotes satiety. And then progesterone, on the other hand, which we'll talk about, could often lead to those feelings of cravings as well. Interesting. Not okay. Directly, so how does yeah, this... we'll touch on that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's amazing. So how does this translate into the second half of my cycle? So now I'm in that first half, I'm eating my cruciferous veggies. I'm eating my protein, my healthy fats, second half, last two weeks. What am I eating? Perfect. So you're really just going to take everything you're doing in the first half of your cycle and continue doing it. And then you are also going to make sure you are eating at consistent meal times during the second half of your cycle. And you want to incorporate those fiber, rich carbohydrate, whole food sources of carbs, um, at each meal as well. And the reason for this is because the second half of your cycle, we're focusing on building progesterone, right? Like I mentioned earlier, you you release your egg, your body and ovaries are now making a corpus luteum. And this corpus luteum is a gland that produces progesterone. And we want progesterone because it is our anti-anxiety hormone that also helps with sleep. So if we don't have robust progesterone, we're production, we can experience anxiety, we can experience insomnia. So we just want to make sure we're supporting that during the second half of your cycle. So making sure you have consistent meal times, and also incorporating carbohydrates, because like I touched on earlier, we want, uh, we want that spike in insulin. 
not a spike, but we want insulin to be present because insulin influences your body's brain to ovary connection to support your sex hormones. So we want to make sure carbohydrates are included during that second half of your cycle. One for that purpose, but two, because like you said, you do experience higher hunger because after ovulation, your body temperature and energy demands increase. So you are going to feel a little bit hungry. So you want to make sure you're eating appropriately to nourish your body. So you're satiated and satisfied at each meal. Okay. So let's talk about a few different things. This is all wildly helpful. I guess the first is to talk about the types of carbs that are great for you, because you've already answered the question, which I knew the answer to, but I really wanted to touch on in this episode, which is are carbs bad for you, which duh, no, they're not. And low carb diets Mm -hmm. are really not the answer. Um, but I think people for whatever reason, there's this stigma against carbs. Um, let's talk about the types of carbs that they should be eating. Yeah. And if for, okay, so a low carb approach can be beneficial for people just like keto can be beneficial for a certain population, right? There's it's nuanced and it is very dependent on your individual needs, but for the purpose of supporting your hormones during your, um, cycling phase of life. So postmenopause is a different story, but during the years, your reproductive years, where you are cycling, experiencing a period, ovulating, building progesterone, etc. Um, you do want to incorporate carbohydrates during your luteal phase, that second half of your cycle. And carbohydrates are your main fuel source for high intensity exercise period. So if you're not incorporating carbohydrates, especially as a woman, you're going to feel more inflamed. You're going to not be able to get the most out of your workouts or recovery. And you're honestly just going to feel like crap probably. So, and I think that individualized (laughs) point, no, definitely. I think the individualized point is a really great point because some of these diets are beneficial for certain individuals, depending on where they are at and what their needs are. But saying that is one thing, the best way to get individualized and correct me if I'm wrong, feedback and decide which type of diet is best for you is getting your blood work done and meeting with a registered dietitian. Is that correct? Of course, that is always going to be the fastest approach and very supportive. Um, and it, will always also come down to trial and error to see what works best for your individual body, right? Right. Um, The testing and the dietitian, and I'm saying this, I work with clients, of course, every day, but it it always comes down to what works best for you. And the doctor, the dietitian is always there to guide you in the right direction and help you get there faster. Um, But it does, it sometimes takes time and you can follow an approach And that's why I love getting, whether it's blood work or I use the Dutch test, which is a dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. And what this does is tell us your estrogen, your progesterone, testosterone, cortisol, which we haven't talked about um, much, but that's your stress hormone. Um, And it tells you how your body is producing these hormones and how it's breaking down these hormones. So then you can then use targeted whether it's nutrition, lifestyle, or supplements to support your body individually based off what you need specifically. Um, 
And then yeah, blood work for your insulin levels, thyroid, blood sugar is also super helpful to understand as well. Um, so yeah, <laughs> testing and working with someone can obviously be very supportive. Um, but like I said, it does Listen come to down yourself to trial and error. And how your exactly. Body yeah, exactly. And, um, and also, um, keeping a journal, just if you're on your like beginning stages of just like learning about how certain foods influence your body, like you think you can remember, but keeping a journal for a week of just like a food mood journal. So how was my mood before, after eating? How was it like three days later? Cause sometimes that can happen and you just experience symptoms three days later. So it can be hard to connect things, but just keeping a journal for you of how you feel with certain foods can be super supportive to notice and bring up and see any patterns for you. Yeah, that's really helpful. Andy and I just noticed not with food. Um, and obviously again, duh, this is obvious, but with alcohol is mm -hmm. really, I think as we're getting older and also have to parent, it's really affecting us. And I'm not talking about like getting drunk and having a hangover. I'm talking about like socially, casually drinking and how it just affects our brain fog and our energy levels and our ability to like focus um, mm -hmm. is we're really struggling with that where we really do enjoy drinking socially and moderately, but it's like, oh, this is so hard. I know. And I know you love your wine too. You're like me. Yeah. So it's, it's really it, honestly depressing because yeah, it's like, it's yeah, you want to enjoy your glass of wine, but feeling how that one influences your sleep. I'm not sure if you use anything to track your sleep, but I have an aura ring and seeing how elevated my heart rate is and how disrupted like my REM sleep is after even just having a couple glasses of wine. I'm just like, why? Why yeah. do you have to do this? Yeah, <laughs> but it it's really your body is working. Shame. Yeah, your body's working to get rid of the toxins. And that's what happens is you're diverting energy to that process and away from other things like cognition or anything like that. Totally. So oh, maybe one day, not today, maybe we can come up with yeah. a line. That's what you should <laughs> devote the rest of your career to. I would appreciate Oh, that. I know. I know. Believe me, that's like my next career. Maybe yeah. wine and charcuterie board making. That's I love that's a good be my dream goal. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the meantime, let's go back. Um, we were talking about carbs. So, and then we got sidetracked. Good sources of carbs that will really fuel your body without spiking your insulin levels. Yes. Whole food sources of carbohydrates always paired with a protein. It could be that simple. So potatoes, it could be rice. It could be quinoa. It could be amaranth. And I always say that word wrong. Amaranth. Sorry to anyone who's like, that's not how you say it, but I have trouble with that one. Um, oats, um, gluten-free and sprouted grains are, are great sources. Um, and yeah, I mean, that was a lot. That yeah. And what is the reasoning for pairing it with a protein? Yeah. So you want to pair your carbohydrates with protein. One, it's more satiating protein actually activates certain hormones in your body that shut off hunger. So that's important. And two, it slows down the spike of blood sugar when those carbohydrates are broken down. So carbohydrates break down in your body and as a result increases your blood sugar, which is a natural process, but we want to keep those blood sugars as like, think about it as like a slow wave versus like a peak and valley. 
and including carbohydrates with protein um, can help support promoting those waves instead of peaks and valleys. And this has, I mean, everyone has experienced this. You eat something very high in carbohydrates or high in yeah, sugar. And, then you crash. And, mm-hmm. and the reason you crash is because your body overcorrects when you have a high spike in blood sugar quickly, your body produces a lot of insulin, which is your storage hormone that brings that blood sugar into your cells. But what happens when you have too much too soon, too quick without protein, you release a lot of insulin and it brings in too much blood sugar. Um, So then you actually have a period of like hypoglycemia, so low blood sugar. And when you experience that low blood sugar, you experience oh, I need to eat, for, I, I need more sweets, I need carbs, I need something to give me more energy because you have that crash and dip in energy. So just something to be aware of. Um, just always include protein with carbs and it can be that simple. That's really interesting and it reminded me of something and I'm curious of your take on it. I always eat more carbs and just more in general and have more cravings when I'm tired. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it kind of sounded like what you were just describing, but like, if I had a bad night's sleep, I'm exhausted. I need something to pick my blood sugar up. So I'm doing it with something that's probably not good for me. And then I crash again and then I have another craving and then I eat something else. That's really great. Yeah, exactly. And the reason for that is because lack of sleep actually has been shown to decrease satiety hormones. So decrease leptin, increase ghrelin, hunger hormone and imbalance blood sugar. So it's a triple whammy of you just wanting foods that are going to give you energy. Awesome. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, which your body's very smart. <laughs> yeah. And obviously sleep is so important, but I have struggled with sleep having a newborn and now a toddler. She's finally mm-hmm. sleeping, thank God, but she wasn't in the okay. beginning and it was like so hard because I wasn't getting sleep, but I'm also trying to lose weight and eat healthy and I was just oh my god a nightmare. Um, but if you can get the sleep, (laughs) it is very Mm -hmm. important and it really affects your diet the next day and how you're feeling amongst so many other things. Exactly. So prioritizing sleep, of course, as the new mom, I mean, it's like it, don't worry about that. You're, you're being a mom and doing the best you can. And that's what you can do. And it's a period of beautiful period of life. That's very hard as well. Um, yep. But after that, when you can get the sleep, prioritizing that. Um, and I know with kids as well, and I don't have kids, I work with a lot of women who do. Um, I know you want, you know, that time after you put your kids down to, you know, relax and have your time um, alone, prioritizing, you know, prioritizing that is so important and prioritizing your sleep is so important. So just finding, what works best for you. And it can yeah. shift throughout the week. I feel like, is- yeah, I feel like me and Andy kind of pick days where like, we're like, okay, this is our night to stay up late because we have a second to ourselves and we can sit down and eat and watch something on Netflix. And then there are other nights that we're in bed by like nine 30 because we just have to catch up on sleep. Exactly. Exactly. Beautiful. Um, okay. So that was really, really helpful eating for my cycle. Um, adding in carbs in the second half. And by the way, I just want to clarify that doesn't mean not eating carbs in the first half, right? Exactly. So you can have carbs at all times 
what I'm saying is just don't forget them in the second half of your cycle, because you will experience, um, those cravings, the lack of satiety, etc. Um, in the first half of your cycle, since you do, you are building estrogen, you can get away with a lower carbohydrate um, approach. That being said, if you are someone who trains consistently um, and you're lifting weights and you have a consistent workout routine, you're going to want carbs. Um, so make sure you have that around your workouts as well. Yeah. Which brings me into my next question, which is really about portion size and what your thoughts are on counting macros. Yeah. So I think it can be helpful for some people who want to learn about how, what certain portions look like, um, at each meal. Uh, so it's a tool to be used. Now, if you have any history of disordered eating or an eating disorder, or that feels triggering or it's a waste of time, you absolutely don't have to. So there's no, like you can, if you want to, you don't have to, if you don't, and there's no right or wrong answer there. Um, I don't use that approach with my clients. I use the hand model because you have your hands with you. It's, I mean, counting macros, yes, can be accurate, but any calculation is never going to be hundred percent accurate. So just using your hands as a guidance and structure to, um, what portions can look like on your plate and also how they make you feel. So for example, let's talk about carbs. So let's say you have a big bowl of rice that is cooked and you scoop your hand in and just grab a cupped hand full of carbohydrates. That's about a portion, um, or about 30, 45 grams, depending on how, how big your hand is obviously, but that's about a portion for your own individual body to have at a meal. Now you might need more, you might need less, and it just depends on where you're at in your cycle, your activity level, your goals. And then with protein, take a look at the palm of your hand. So if you take a look at the left palm facing up, if you use your right pointer finger, start at the bottom of your left pinky and circle around the bottom of your fingers to your thumb, to the top of your wrist and back up to your pinky. And then flip your hand over awkwardly to the side to where your thumb is facing down. And that thickness, that's about a portion size of protein for you. I wish that you could see me sitting here, like trying to follow your directions, tracing my hand. Was that too fast? Did you get it? it. You just have to trace (laughs) your palm in a circle and then flip your hand over. Exactly. Exactly. So the circumference of your palm and thickness is about the portion size of protein um, for your body and for animal protein and tofu and tempeh, that's about 30 grams, um, of protein or about four to six ounces, depending of course, on the size of your hand, et cetera. Um, so that's protein and carbs. Fat gets a little bit tricky because you have your nuts, seeds, avocado, all of you have your whole food sources and you have your oils and stuff. So just with oils, it's about a tablespoon or two, which is about 14 to 30 grams. Um, and then other fat sources will depend too. So to answer your question, when it comes to macros, you can, if you want to, you absolutely don't have to just start by incorporating a balanced plate with protein, fat, fiber, and carbohydrates. And you can use your hands as portions as a start and adjust from there, depending on how you feel individually. 
Exactly. Yeah, that's really helpful. I personally don't count macros. I know a lot of people that do, and it can be a helpful tool um, for me who hardly has time to prep meals to begin with. Yeah, exactly. Stuff that I don't have the brain capacity for. Um, but that's interesting. Yeah, I've used the um, the hand model before. I've used weighted scales, and I've just used kind of like what makes me feel good, depending on where I am in my life and where I am in my fitness phase and what my goals are, I think, is that a fair thing that you do with a lot of your clients as well? A hundred percent. And that's when you eat to one, first of all, yeah, nobody has time to calculate macros unless you do. And of course, if that's a big (laughs) part of your life, then you do. Um, But eating until satiated and satisfied is huge. And a big part of that is eating the right foods to balance your hormones. So your body is actually sending you the right signals and then you can eat more intuitively. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. And I think that's really important. So let's go back and highlight that. Wow. That's incredible. You can't, a lot of people talk about eating intuitively and a lot of people Mm -hmm. talk about paying attention to how things make you feel, but when your hormones are imbalanced or for example, everything I was just describing with me being tired me eating mm-hmm. intuitively that day would be to eat carbs because I want my energy to go up when that's not necessarily what's the best thing for my body. Um, 100%. So eating intuitively only works if your hormones are balanced. Yeah. And like, I mean, it, it, I mean, you can, it is intuitive if you like want the carbs, right? So it's like, sure, it's not like it's all of a sudden yeah. not because it is sure, for sure, you sure. in that moment. But I think However, there's a fine line between eating intuitively and making excuses as to why this is what you want and need right now. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. So that's why I always say, make sure your meals are balanced. And if you want the cookie, you want the extra carbs, you want the sweets that day, then you have it, but you're not going to over consume those sweets because you are like physically hungry and want them after you've had a nice balanced meal before. So it kind of it auto-regulates for you when you nourish your body appropriately. Totally. And I think too, uh, this is a good time to just say for anyone who is listening and follows me knows that I'm like super balanced in my approach to health. And that's the whole point of not my best podcast is like not to have a perfect diet. I don't think anybody can. I don't think that's an appropriate way to live, but just to Mm -hmm. understand the information behind making better decisions for your health or health rather, making better decisions for your health and then choosing accordingly. I'm a big proponent. I ate brownies this weekend. I had wine all last week. Um, Mm -hmm. So like, it really is just about the phase of life you're in and doing what you want to do, but having that information to make you feel your best. Exactly. Exactly. And you'll, you start, it's, I know it seems overwhelming at first and you're like, how do I do this? But just one meal at a time, just start with one meal at a time. Do I have protein? Do I have carbs? Do I have veggies? Beautiful. Am I cooking with healthy sources of fats? Beautiful. Am I including healthy sources of fats? Um, if you're not cooking with them, um, just ask yourself those questions at each meal and start from there. And you'll really start to see a big shift in, in how you feel. Yeah. So a few more questions, which I think will be really helpful. The first one is meal prep tips. Like I personally have no time. I've found a few things that work for me, but I am curious to hear what you have to say in regarding to make sure that you have those meals waiting for you. Because when it's time for me to cook, I, it's just not happening. I'm grabbing whatever I see first. 
A hundred percent. And you are not alone with that. No question. So something that I have found to be super helpful is to batch prep and it's not making specific meals. It's just like, okay, what proteins am I having for this week? Or even just go three days at a time, three or four days at a time. So, okay, let's go, I don't know, chicken and salmon, just throwing something out there. So you're going to batch prep those chicken and salmon for three days. You just throw it in the oven as it's cooking in the oven. You're either going to chop veggies or you can buy frozen veggies, which is just as nutritious. So that's what I do. I don't have, Mm -hmm. if I buy fresh veggies, they will see the garbage can in three days. Exactly. I need to buy frozen so that I have it when it's ready for me to cook it. Exactly. And that is, that's like the biggest hack too. And also like frozen, um, like Trader Joe's is great for this. They have frozen chicken breasts or whatever. So you just take it out, thaw it, whatever. Um, so that's, that's important too. It's just like buying frozen for things that, you know, can be quick and grab that won't go to waste too. Um, and then same like with grain. So let's say, I don't know, you have overnight oats for breakfast in the morning. Um, you can prep that the night before or you can prep for a few days. Um, so doing an, or cooking grains all together, making a big thing of rice or quinoa, uh, for a few days, um, prepping salad. So you have the base, so you have your greens. Um, I don't know, maybe you throw in some carrots that are already pre-chopped, pre-chopping or buying pre-chopped veggies can be helpful too. Um, so doing those things and not putting too much pressure on yourself to, make these elaborate meals is huge and use spices, use sauces to flavor it up. That way you can have, you may be eating a chicken breast, but you can flavor it up in different ways. So it feels different and tastes different. So you're not eating the same thing over and over again, if that's not something you want. Batch prepping is interesting because I normally do the meal thing. And I think maybe having that in my fridge that I can just pair them together at mealtimes will also save a ton. And it will also help me cook for Presley because right now she's in a super picky phase. Um, and it's hard for me to make the same exact meals that I'm eating for her. But if I have the different ingredients to the meals batched and ready, she might eat them separately as long as they're not touching each other. (laughs) Yeah. Make them separate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, so that could be a helpful tip. And also meals can be as well, right? So like, I don't know, a meal prep fajita or taco bowl. So then you cook like whether it's, you know, steak or quinoa, you cook that and portion it out for yourself in like a glass lock container. You put your frozen fajita veggies as well um, that are either thawed out or cooked and left in the fridge. And then your whether it's maybe a cassava flour tortilla with it as well to wrap it up. So you can have tacos or burrito. I don't know, whatever. Yeah, There's no, a million different all sounds options, delicious. Yeah. And you can just kind of pair it that way. So you have the variety, but it's all ready for you. You just like grab, grab. And then you can even do a mix of both prep your meals and have batch prep um, and just see what works best for you. Cause ultimately that's going to be that the thing. Um, and most important thing to help you stay consistent. Yeah, totally. You mentioned overnight oats. Out of curiosity, what's a good source of protein to eat with overnight oats? Yeah, so I say you can either incorporate a clean source of protein powder in there or have eggs on the side or bone broth on the side or any other protein because it doesn't like, 
you can have something on the side and have your overnight oats, but Mm -hmm. the simplest, most efficient way is to throw a scoop of protein powder in there and call it a day. Yeah. I was curious if you had anything else um, to put in there because I normally make protein powder. Oh my God. It's so good. Um, Oats, almond milk, chocolate protein powder, and blueberries and let it sit Mm. overnight. It's phenomenal. Very, very good. I'm drooling. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds so good. (laughs) Okay. So let's move on really quickly before we wrap. I want to talk about working out. Um, so you mentioned the first half of your cycle versus the second half. Um, and when you can lift heavier weights, let's talk about that for a second. Perfect. Yes. So let me preface this and say, you can do all things at all times. The human body is absolutely incredible. And some people don't have like, as an athlete, you, you can control when you're you know going to compete or anything like that. So just know that your body is incapable of doing anything. Um, that being said, from a longevity standpoint and feeling, you know, for the average person who's working all day, squeezing in their workouts, has a family, has other life stressors, there is a way to cycle sync your workouts to give you the most out of your workouts while also not making you feel burnt out and exhausted. So that being said, first half of your cycle, like I mentioned, estrogen has beneficial effects on muscle function and recovery. So using that to your advantage to lift heavy, um, is, is an awesome time to build muscle recover and get in those high intensity workouts. Um, and you can use that testosterone peak right before ovulation to your advantage as well with the heavy lifting, um, moving on to the second half of your cycle after ovulation. So your luteal phase, when progesterone is on the rise, Progesterone kind of negates the benefits of estrogen. So you don't get that same sort of recovery. Um, And it also makes you a little bit more insulin resistant. So you don't get that same benefit of using the carbohydrates to support the high intensity exercise. Now you can absolutely still do high intensity exercise. This is why you want to make sure you're fueling appropriately with carbohydrates to fuel that, that workout. Um, So you may have already experienced this. It's 99% very likely you have, but you also don't have the same energy you have um, when you have that high hormone phase in the second half of your cycle with progesterone peaking. And then you have the drop in hormones, which could also make you feel a little bit low in energy when that shift happens. So honoring your body and knowing these fluctuations is so empowering because you can get after it in the first cycle and then just tailor it back in the second half of your cycle without the blame and guilt of like, why am I not progressing? Why do I feel like everything feels like a million pounds? Like we've all had those days, right? So just knowing that that's your body fluctuating and your hormones and it's happening naturally. So just work with it instead of against it. And you'll feel so much better and empowered and stronger and more energized throughout the week. Totally. And so you're saying to work out a little bit harder or lift heavier in the first half of your cycle. So how do you feel about like hit workouts and going for runs while you have your period? Yeah, I say like as soon as so day one and day two is going to be, you know, you might feel a little bit lethargic, the flow is a little bit heavier, honor your body, do what feels good. But day three, when your energy starts to come back, that's when you can start lifting heavy running, doing all the things because that's when your hormones that are, are at its lowest point. So there's no interference with, with anything going on there. 
Amazing. Good to know. Really interesting to hear that viewpoint. I've just, I've heard multiple things um, and I think it's worth looking into, but that's really cool to hear um, because I think a lot of people shy away from it. Yeah, exactly. And something to also note is that during ovulation when, or right before when estrogen peaks, that's when like, so estrogen supports muscle function and recovery, like I said, so you can absolutely train heavy, do all the things. However, estrogen also increases joint laxity. So what this, and I'll touch on like right before your period too. So what this means is like, you just want to be more careful of high impact workouts here as well. So you're jumping, you're, you're hit and burpees and all these things. Um, just be more cognizant and know that joint laxity is increased a little bit during that time. So right before ovulation, and then there has been research like on ACL for women, right. Um, just around their menstrual cycle and before ovulation is one of them. And also during or on your period as well, like the first couple days. And that could be just because of the massive shift in, in hormones um, right before as well. So again, it always comes back. If you have control over your workout schedule, it always comes back to honoring your body. Um, but just know that it's capable of doing anything. And, and <laughs> it's also important to work with your cycle and your hormones versus push through and work against it because yeah, these aren't restrictions. Like you can't, it's just more of things to be aware of as you're working out to know when totally. to push yourself and when to pull back. Exactly. Um, all right. So cardio versus lifting weights, you would say is the same thing, like lift and cardio in the beginning and less cardio towards the end, or is cardio something different? Yeah. So yes. And, <laughs> um, cardio can be anything, right? So I would say prioritize, especially for women, prioritize lifting weights, building muscle. Um, one it for overall metabolic health, but two for bone health, um, is so important for women, especially as we age. And then, yeah, when you want to do cardio, you'll feel like I would say, especially honor your body and listen to when you want to do it. (laughs) Always. Exactly. (laughs) And if you are in a hormone imbalance phase or you're feeling fatigued, or you have just a high stress period of life, keep those cardio sessions lower intensity and keep it around 30 minutes. Um, as soon as you go over that 30, 45 minute mark of high intensity exercise cardio based, um, you start to increase cortisol and an elevation in cortisol too long, too often can actually start to break down muscle. And it can also lead to feelings of just not feeling your best. (laughs) Definitely. I think that I personally am one of those people that enjoy cardio. I'm a trainer and I advocate for women to really be lifting heavier than they think that they can because they're strong and it's not going to make you bulky. And it's really fantastic for your overall health, but I enjoy a run. I enjoy a dance workout. Like it makes me feel good. It gives me endorphins. It makes me happy. But I think it's the people who are overdoing the cardio six, seven days a week, 45 minutes to an hour at a time. And that's where those degenerative effects really start to kick in. Yep. You said it perfectly. 
Yep. Well, thank you so much for this chat. I think it's wildly helpful. I think it broke down a lot of stuff in a very simple way. Um, and hopefully it gives some people guidance because I know myself included, um, there are times when you really want to eat healthy, but you are getting so many mixed messages. Um, and you're seeing so many reels on Instagram of different recipes and you don't even know where to start. So I think this is a really great place to just kind of quiet the noise, um, and, and get the knowledge that you need to optimize your hormones and then to really eat in a way that makes your feel your body feel good. So thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. And this is ex the exact thing I go over in my ebook, A Woman's Guide to Optimizing Health Hormones and Metabolism. And I break it down step by step how you can do this in a way, like you said, that's simple and that fits into your lifestyle because that's what it's all about. So I hope this Amazing. was helpful. And if anyone has any questions, I am more than happy to answer. Yeah. So where can people find you? Plug yourself in any way, shape or form that you would like. Yeah. I mean, all things on Instagram and I'm sure you'll include the links in the show notes or whatever. Sure will. Yeah. <laughs> Julia Glanz on Instagram. Julia Glanz lifestyle is my website. Amazing. I should say. <laughs> Julia Glanz lifestyle dot com. Thank you there so much. I will um, catch up with you again soon. And I really appreciate you coming on. Um, thank you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And that's today's episode. I hope you go out there, stop trying to live your best life and start actually living a better one. See you next month on the 10th with a new guest, a new topic, and I look forward to hearing what you think.